two years ago, I went to East Tennessee Brain and Spine for a consultation about a small lump found on my spine. A biopsy was ordered at the end of a long procession of MRIs, CAT scans, blood work, hell, you name it. They put me through it before ordering the biopsy. It was supposed to be a simple procedure, as they always seem to tell you about any procedure. Need a head transplant? Sure, no problem. Our surgeons do those all the time. It's a simple procedure, says the doctor. Okay, so that was an exaggeration, but if you've been to a specialist, you can sympathize with the sentiment, I'm sure. The procedure was unpleasant, but it went fine, according to the doctor. The results came back the following week. The lump was not cancerous. It was just a lump of rogue tissue, um, sort of like a scar tissue, that no one had an explanation for. So that wasn't causing my migraines, but a couple of damaged discs might have been the culprit. So said my doctor, although the discs were further down my back, in my low back actually. The next suggested step was surgery on the two blown discs. I went into Johnson City Medical Center's surgery tower, hoping for the best, but to be honest, I was expecting the worst. By this point in life, I was a glass-half-empty kind of guy. The anesthesiast was a short, stocky, older guy who wore scrubs covered in Looney Tunes characters. He tried to put me at ease with small talk, but it didn't work. The first shot he administered, though, <laughs> wow, that did the trick. It stung as it entered my bloodstream, and I remember feeling it hit my heart because it scared the hell out of me. I thought I had died. Instantly, I felt like I was floating. Mr. Looney Tunes? <laughs> he leaned close. Good shit, right? He laughed, and the laugh echoed. Yes, it was good shit. Then he was telling me about the morphine shot that it was going to burn, but it would be a fleeting sensation and I would fall asleep. I nodded, or at least I think I did. A strange-looking nurse walked up behind him, and I smiled at her. I must have, because she nodded and smiled back. Even then, I thought how strange she looked. She had bottle-black hair that hung to her shoulders, her face was pasty white. Her lips were shocked a bright red, badly applied lipstick, and her eyes seemed far too big, as if she were purposefully making them wide in imitation of being surprised. She wore no mask, her hair was loose, and she just stood behind Mr. Looney Tunes staring at me like that while he talked and prepped the shot seeming not to notice her presence. The needle moved forward toward the port on the back of my hand, and the weird nurse's smile broadened until she looked clownish and creepy as hell. It felt like someone jabbing a lit cigarette to the back of my hand, and I was out, just like flipping off a light switch. I woke up in the recovery room and laid still and quiet, looking around with only my eyes. I was making sure I hadn't woken during surgery. That has happened a few times. It's never good for me or the doctors and nurses. I've always been notoriously difficult to put under and keep under for some reason. 
I was the only one in the recovery room and the attending nurse sitting behind her desk reading a newspaper. She was humming Swing Low, a sweet chariot, which I thought was a bit of dark humor on her part. The newspaper concealed her face, so I just lay there quietly and unmoving, enjoying the pain-free sensation for a change. Nothing ached, but I knew as soon as the lidocaine shots wore off, I would feel the surgery site. The newspaper rustled and I looked up at it. A few feet behind the recovery nurse, the creepy nurse from the surgery room appeared, moving slowly and quietly. Chill ran over me as we locked eyes. I didn't smile this time and neither did she. The paper rustled again and one of the top corners folded down as the recovery nurse turned the page. She glanced at me over the top of the folded corner and started to raise the paper again. Then she jerked it back down to the desk, her eyes wide as she jostled in her seat. Oh, good lord, baby Jesus! She steadied herself with one hand on the desk as she stood. Oh, you about gave me a heart attack, young man. As she walked toward me, the creepy nurse was blocked from my view for a moment. She was gone when I could see where she had been. I raised my head and looked around. There was no sign of her. I asked the recovery nurse who the other woman was. She laughed, patted my shoulder, and said that we were the only two people in the recovery room. That the drugs had probably given me a little hallucination, and it was nothing to worry about. Before they could get me out of the recovery room and into a regular room, my blood pressure just bottomed out, and apparently, I had a seizure. I have no memory of it. In fact, the last thing I recall was getting the blood pressure cuff put on my arm, and two pretty nurses in blue scrubs pushing my bed toward the door. I was in the hospital for several more days as the doctors tried to figure out what had happened. They never did. It was just a fluke. I'm sure that explanation looked really professional on paper, by the way. Three weeks after getting home, my sister, Renee, was taking me to a post-surgery appointment. I was doing great with my recovery. I was ahead of the projected schedule. On the way home, we got T-boned at an intersection, and I was sent right back into the hospital. The emergency room was chaos as doctors and nurses worked on me and my sister, I was in excruciating pain and slipped in and out of consciousness. The black-haired nurse drifted through the swell and rush of activity. She moved along the wall, always remained behind the others in the room, and always staring at me, leering at me over shoulders, around equipment. Her appearance was exactly the same as when I had seen her before. Dull black hair hanging loose, just touching her shoulders. Bright red caked lipstick, pasty white face, and huge, dark eyes that seemed to bore right through me. Believe it or not, the recent surgery site was okay. My neck, however, was not. A vertebra had been broken, and a piece of the bone was pressing into my spinal cord. My entire right side was numb from cheek to toes. My sister and I shared a hospital room that first night. She was banged up pretty bad and had a nasty gash on the side of her head, and she was more worried about me than herself. 
The tasteless mush that passed for dinner was unappetizing, and we spent the time talking, watching the channel that shows the inside main entrance of the hospital. The people coming and going were fine entertainment for a couple of people on drugs and stuck in hospital beds. But I was dazing out, just staring slack-jawed at the screen on the wall, when movement in the hallway caught my attention, thinking it was the nurse returning to collect our trays. I rolled my head slowly and painfully in her direction. She made those damn scrubs look good, and I didn't mind watching her work. But it wasn't her. It was Nurse McCreepy lurking by the doorway, half concealed by the wall. She peered in at me with that crooked, two-wide smile and one wide eye. Why didn't she move so I could see all of her? Why was she just lurking there? The sight of her kicked my heart into a thudding gallop. She didn't blink and didn't budge as other people walked all around her. Why did none of them seem to notice her unsettling and super weird behavior? Without taking my eyes off of her, I asked Renee if she could see the nurse at the doorway. She said she couldn't, but I heard her moving to get off the bed. I turned to tell her to be careful, and when I looked back, the woman at the door was gone. I questioned the nurse who came to collect the trays, and she assured me that had not been anyone there fitting my description. She said that maybe I had dreamt it. I was on pretty powerful painkillers, after all. After evening meds, I fell asleep, and sometimes later, I startled awake. That black-haired nurse stood by the foot of my bed, staring down at me with a blank expression. The pungent, suffocating aroma of roses choked me. My lungs constricted and pain lit up my back and neck as I tensed. I tried to draw breath enough to scream, but my body wouldn't obey my brain's commands. And suddenly, I felt like I was in a vacuum and the air was being pulled from my lungs. The woman's face split into a toothy, terrifying clown grin. My numb right arm flopped like a fish out of water as I reached for the call button box. The woman's arm raised slowly, as if she had been recorded in slow motion. As her hand moved toward my ankle, her head tilted inquisitively. Panicked, I gripped the call button box, but the numbness prevented me from feeling the button, and I had no choice but to pull my gaze from her hypnotic eyes and look at the box. I slammed my thumb into the red button at the same instant I felt her hand on my leg, just above my ankle. Snapping my eyes back toward her, I saw a slight blur of black hair and blue scrubs disappear into the hallway. My breath, well, finally returned. Filling my lungs with air, I started to scream. The night nurse hurried into the room. My scream died before it came out. I told her what happened. Her response was that hospitals can be scary places, but I should be assured that I was totally safe. Plenty of people were there just to 
keep an eye on me, and make sure I got better so I could go home as soon as possible. Then she asked me if I was in pain. I told her I was, and that I wasn't a frightened kid. I mean, I, I knew what I had seen. She patted my head, smiled, and assured me that no scary woman was hanging around. I took the medication, glad that I would at least go to sleep soon. Now the next day, my sister was released. Her friend came to drive her home, and of course, Renee had to share the creepy nurse story with her. To my surprise, Caitlin, my sister's friend, she didn't laugh. She looked worried and offered me a few words of encouragement. Afterward, she hurried out of the room with my sister in tow. That night, the nurse didn't appear, at least not while I was awake. I was scheduled for a procedure on my neck the next day, which meant I was going to be there at least another couple of days. I was on clear liquids only, and all I could think about was that I was going to buy a big juicy cheeseburger and fries as soon as I was out of there. Food and painkillers filled my thoughts for most of the day and evening. The next morning, I was prepped for the surgery and taken into the operation room. As the anesthetist made small talk, I kept looking around the room, wondering if the terrifying black-haired woman would appear again. She did not. Neither did she appear in the recovery room. The recovery room nurse was the same one from my previous surgery weeks before. When I awoke, she was looking straight at me, no startling her a second time. And everything seemed to be going well. That is until the next evening. Once more, as I lay in a room with the lights dimmed for the night, small hairs on the back of my neck and arms prickled. I couldn't turn my head, as I was in the padded plastic version of what I was certain was some medieval torture device that prevented movement. But I could see most of the room, and I scoured the shadowy spots intently. Sure enough, the grinning nurse stood on the other side of the empty bed across the room. Her lipstick was smudged up one cheek, and black runnels of mascara painted her under-eye areas black. I started to scream, and she raised a finger to her lips in a shushing gesture as she stepped backwards into the bathroom and pulled the door closed. I kept screaming, though. A bevy of nurses ran into the room with a crash cart and surrounded my bed. A searing pain tore through my chest as I tried to tell them she was in the bathroom. But they heard none of it. I couldn't breathe and a sharp pain coursed from my chest into the rest of my body with each beat of my heart. The next thing I recall was waking up with more wires attached to me. I'd had a heart attack. The doctor said it was a mild cardiac event. Hell, easy for him to say. He wasn't the one who experienced it. I told him what I had seen, what had caused it. He listened amiably enough and offered no judgment or explanation that I hadn't heard already several times. It was probably a dream or a hallucination brought on by all the recent stress, trauma to my body and the painkillers, etc., etc., etc. The psychiatric evaluation later that day angered me. 
The guy asked all kinds of probing questions about my past and present. When he asked about my mother, I knew where it was going. He had probably pulled my history and found out that my mother had gone batshit when I was four and committed to the Daisy Lawn Home for the criminally insane. I hadn't thought about her in years and years. She was crazy. I mean, that's all I knew. And that's all I wanted to know. Turning the session back to the problem at hand, I told him what had been happening about the damn creepy nurse. He nodded. He scribbled a few notes and then told me he would do everything he could to help me make a full recovery. In his highly educated opinion, I had experienced a psychological break due to all the recent stress to my body and my mind. I mean, it was blah 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 is about all I heard after that. I wasn't broken. My body had been broken. But my mind was perfectly fine. The more I argue that point, well hell, the worse it got for me. The nurse came back that night. See, she stood silhouetted against the curtains over the window. It was a dark figure in the darkness. Like a child's nightmare she slowly moved forward until the weak hallway light threw a bit of illumination on her she looked haggard and drawn her makeup was smeared so badly she looked as if she had painted her face for halloween it was like a dead hooker in a back alley look maybe her pale blue scrubs were covered with smears and blotches of filth and a faint smell of roses, sickeningly sweet, underlined the strong body odor and grungy smell. A cold sweat oozed out of my pores and coated my chest. I hated the smell of roses. I blinked, hoping she would just disappear as she had before. But she didn't. And I'm sure the drugs they were pumping into me daily to keep me calm for the pain kept me from screaming like a lunatic and having another heart attack. Slurring my words, I said, If you're going to kill me, just do it already. If not, well, get the fuck out and leave me the hell alone. She shook her head and started to smile again. My gut clenched as she stepped closer and raised her finger to her lips. I reached for the call box that lay just past my fingers, slowly, calmly even. She pulled it out of reach. Heat flushed my face and sweat popped out of my forehead. You're fucking real, I said. I knew you were. She nodded and reached into her pocket. I screamed for a nurse then. Hell, I didn't care who came into the room, as long as someone did. I didn't know what was in her pocket, but I was sure I didn't want to find out when it was too late and the knife was already buried into my brain. Because surely, I mean, that's what she had, a knife. And of course, she would stab it through my eye. I mean, what else could it be? Uh, where else would she put it? The overheads flared to life, flooding the room with piercing bright light. Then another scream erupted and joined mine. The nurse at the door saw the crazy woman beside me and raised the alarm. 
Within seconds, a guard rushed into the room, pushing past the nurse. She stopped and stared at the woman by my bed, and raised a hand to her in a calming gesture, trying to talk soothingly to her, as one might speak to a scared kid. Another guard entered, and nurses gathered outside the door to rub her neck. The stinking woman lunged toward me and pressed something into my hand. Well, in my mind, she was pressing the blade of a knife into my chest, and I screamed again. The guards wrestled her away from me. I raised my hand, expecting to see blood. She had pressed a woman's ring into my hand. It was a silver ring fashioned to look like a rope with a loop at the top that held a sapphire blue gem. Now, at that point, long buried memories whirled back to my conscious mind, and the earth shook. And somewhere in the distance, I heard metal rend under great pressure, squealing and deafening. The sound morphed into a scream, and I was four again, standing at the foot of the stairs and crying in my childhood home. My father was on the floor, face up with a knife protruding from his left eye and blood pooling by his head. A large spray of deep red roses lay scattered over the floor on his right side. The front door was open. It was dark outside. I knew something bad had happened, but I didn't know what to do, and so I stood there hoping Daddy was okay. He would get up soon and... He would tell me it was just alright. He just fell down. But the knife worried me. That might not ever be okay. Still at four years old, I had no concept that he would be gone from my life. At four, you think your parents are always going to be there. Death is an unknown thing. Then my mother came down the stairs carrying Renee. Her dress was smeared with wide, dark red streaks like big brush strokes. Smiling broadly, she put a finger to her lips to let me know I should be quiet. And then she took me by the hand. I felt better since she was there. I stopped crying. She led me out of the open front door. I looked back and... Well, Daddy was still on the floor. We walked to the flower garden and sat on a little concrete bench by the rose bushes. And there in the dark, surrounded by the roses, I was calm again as she hummed a lullaby and rocked Renee back to sleep. I sat beside her, holding her hand and idly twisting the pretty rope ring on her finger, counting each time the sapphire made a full circuit and wondering why she had dirt under her fingernails. I came back to the present and saw the two guards dragging my mother out of the room. She never uttered a sound, not a single word. The following week, well, let's just say it held many revelations for myself and Renee. My sister and I grew up with the notion that our father had been killed in a home invasion. No one told us my mother had killed him. She was the invader that night. They had divorced and he had been granted custody of me and my sister on grounds that she had been ruled mentally unfit to care for us. 
after the brutal murder, she had been put in Daisy Lawn. Renee and I were placed with an aunt and uncle. And, well, I was told, Mother had never spoken a word since the cops took her away that night when I was four. All of her years in Daisy Lawn, she never spoke, not even to try to defend herself. Being so young, I forgot my trauma and mostly forgot the faces of my parents. Renee had only been a little over a year old, so she had no memories of it at all. Kids, you know, they have these built-in defenses to build mental walls and overcome almost anything. Unless something comes along and tears down the walls, unleashing the demons hidden away in their minds. Adults, I have found, do not bounce back from such things as gracefully as kids do. No. Adults are clumsy in their processing of the bad shit in their lives. Mother had escaped Daisy Lawn and had simply looked my name up in the local phone directory. Like magic, she had my phone number and my home address. She had been following me and had passed herself off as a training nurse on a couple of occasions. The ease with which she moved through the hospital still terrifies me, and I hope there have been more improvements to the security checks at the hospital that might prevent anything like this from ever happening again. The guards took mother out of my hospital room that night, and she was remanded to a higher security section of Daisy Lawn. Renee and me? We're okay, mostly. Renee comes to visit me, often on Woodbridge Psychiatric Hospital's long-term wing. I'm mostly calm and happy here. But every now and then, late at night when my room is dark, I wake up and see the creepy, dirty nurse hovering just inside the shadows near the closet. Sometimes she just smiles at me. And other times, she puts a finger to her bright red lips 